Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Crypt of the Jealous Queen by Jack Bennett. Uh, this is a short story from Shock, March 1948, never reprinted. Um, I don't know why it hasn't been reprinted. I, I quite like this little thing. Um, we're measuring it. It's it it's it's four pages in length, but there's a giant picture, and the last page is truncated. So it's really a three-page story. Um, this is a kind of competitor magazine to uh, Weird Tales, but with more gore. And yet this story doesn't have that much gore. But it has a great illustration, which everybody should go and check out. <laughs> and uh, I, I asked Eric if he would read the story for us, because it is so short. And you've decided to grace us with your reading. I will give it an attempt. But before I do, I would like to make a couple of comments about the magazine, if I may. Sure. One is that I was not, maybe you were able to, Jesse, I wasn't able to find anything definitively about this author called Jack Bennett. No. But searching around, I have a feeling that it may be a fellow named Jack A.W. Bennett who was uh, born in 1918. He's a New Zealand-born scholar and a member of the Inklings. That is that same group wow. that included C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams. Um, so it, it fits with what I know about Jack A.W. Bennett's career. Um, and I mention that because if, in fact, this is a fellow who is a scholar and is just trying to produce something to read aloud to his more famously uh, successful author buddies, uh, it wouldn't be at all a surprise if he were picking up a lot of genre cliches hmm. in writing this. It's very different from the other Inklings, if, if that is the case, but I'd never even heard of this. The, the uh, Jack A.C. Bennett, you called him? A.W. are his two little initials, yes. Um the second thing I would note about this, uh, the editorial comments about I'm looking at the table of contents, Jesse. Mm -hmm. uh, have you read the whole of this issue? I have only read what you posted. I don't I, I did process the whole issue, but I don't remember. Um, I, I, I know a lot more about the magazine in general than I do about this particular issue. Ah, well, I'm looking at this issue and the, the first is an exciting shock mystery novel. Death is a dame. Mm hmm. And the editorial comment, was she really his wife or was she evil-souled Zelda biding her time until her next murder? Then come two spine-tingling suspense novelettes. The first one is Hell's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. -L -L -E. Despising himself and exotic Rocky, Ro Roxy, Ben Harlow went all out to win her love with a grisly murder memento. And the second suspense novelette is Homicidal Homestead. Luscious dealer's scarecrow husband bought a knife and brooded on slaughter. Then, then come six gripping short stories. Nightmare Man, his hog-fat wife, jeered little Herman's dream into a hideous nightmare. Then comes Her Black Wings, 
three men had loved her and died violently. I was next. I won't bother going that through one's the rest. That was by John D. McDonald, by the way, who that's the reason this story was even found. One of the one of the people who's a big scanner. John D. McDonald's a very famous later on novelist, and he's oh absolutely he's a he's a terrific writer and and this this you know fan scholars digging up every every story ever published by John D. McDonald and. And that's a, a benefit to us. Oh, absolutely. And, and later on the table of contents, it tells us there's a preview uh, in this issue of a, another piece by McDonald coming in the next issue. It was a, he was enormously prolific as well as being uh, a fine writer. Uh, so th- this this new mystery shock magazine did pick up some good writers. There's no doubt about it. But I can't help but notice Every single one of those editorial comments I wrote, read to you and a few more tell us women are the problem. Yes. Women either are murderous or they drive men to murder. I mean, women are the problem. This is a magazine for Freud uh, because he can read it and not even have to use half his brain. Uh, with that as a, a, a no, what, what one might notice Going into the magazine, the last of those six gripping stories is Crypt of the Jealous Queen by Jack Bennett, who may or may not be an Oxford Don. Um, And I I won't read uh, what it says, but it it prompts us to think about homicidal women. And then we get to the story. Shall I read it now? Yeah, I I will point out that this is the only known story uh, by Jack Bennett. Um, it, it, in the description on a uh, scholarly website for pulp, if there is such a thing, uh, the philsp.com uh, website is what I call it. Um, it says flourished 1940s, and it has one one story, and that's this one. Yeah, well, <laughs> and there we go. I, I also want to it... point out the title. Um, it it isn't Crypt of the Jealous Queen. It's Dot, 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 crypt of the jealous queen, which I don't understand. Well, I don't know. Actually, I don't even know if that's actually true. Um, on the on the first page of the story as printed, it's dot, 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 crypt of the jealous queen. But in the table of contents, it's there's no dot, dot, dot. Mm. So given the uh, high editorial standards and <laughs> undoubtedly uh, extraordinary care of these editors, I'm not willing to put a lot of weight on that, that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Dave drove up and jumped out of his car. I waited at the ivy covered gate and we went up brick walk together. I don't get this, Solly, said Dave as we climbed the gray stones to the front porch. I don't get this deal at all. I pushed the doorbell, kept my voice low. There might be something to it. We'll know in a minute. The man who opened the door was small, lean, about 55, with a jungle of short brown hair. The hairline was low and the forehead slightly recessive, steel spectacles framed electric green eyes. Dr. Kreutsch, I asked. He stared at us a moment, then a shadow of a smile passed across his face and his head inclined courteously. I am Dr. Kreutsch. The voice was deep, quiet. And the articulation was precise. Come in, gentlemen. I've been expecting you. Come in. Dave glanced at me quickly. There had been no advance notice of our call. 
But Dr. Kreutz had already turned and was walking slowly down the long, gloomy hallway. There was nothing to say, nothing to do but follow him. I heard Dave close the front door as he trailed along. Dr. Kreutz looked ahead of me as if he were tired, his head and round shoulders bent forward, his long arms relaxed, hanging loose, the hands turned inward and up after the manner of an anthropoid ape. I remembered the hairline, too, and the forehead, but then I thought of the electric green eyes. He led us silently through the long hall and into a spacious drawing room. It was an old green, carpeted in lush olive green. Excuse me, it was an old room, carpeted in lush olive green and paneled in a dark hardwood, probably teak. He walked without pause, and we followed him over the entire length of the drawing room until he came to a heavy vaulted door. Here he stopped, stood pensively stroking his chin. Dr. Dr. Kreutz, I said, perhaps we should introduce, he interrupted me with a gesture. Again, I saw that peculiar shadow of a smile at his lips. Perhaps, he said, if you will permit me first, there is something to attend to. He turned, wrenched open the heavy door, stepping quickly, please. He disappeared into the darkness. Dave and I pushed after him, stopped short. The door closed ponderously behind us. The room was dark, very dark. The atmosphere was thick with the musty, torpid odor of decaying leaves or strange jungle blossoms. Then a lamp clicked on. We saw him bending over a small desk in the center of a huge, crypt-like room. We stood motionless, staring. That room, walled with the rarest flowers and vines, hundreds of them, Shelf upon shelf of bowls, urns, and elaborate vases, and in front of the shelves a narrow, continual table burdened with glass jars and aquariums, some empty, others magnifying delicate submerged plants through whose intertwines swam scores of brilliantly colored fish. The room's one window was completely blinded by a black shade. Dr. Kreutz had crossed to stand perfectly still between two glass cases, both of which appeared empty. He sighed. My only commoners are these two. Dave's breath came harshly into my ear. He's mad. He's utterly mad. The cobra requires more than 5,000 human lives each year to justify his existence. We saw it then, in the near case, rising gracefully from the dirt, the swaying hood of the king cobra. And this little one, who knows how many lives the crate requires. We stepped forward impulsively, peered into the second case. It was a small worm-like snake, thick as a cigar and no longer than 14 inches. An orange stripe ran the length of him down his back. The crate, gentlemen. After his kiss, a man may survive from 40 seconds to as long as two and a half minutes. I shuddered. For an instant, I saw the green eyes of Dr. Kreutz fixed on the crate with fierce, hypnotic pleasure. Then, gradually, his face softened and he sighed again. Ah, well, business waits upon the eccentricities of the host. Very well, I shan't be long. Come, gentlemen, this is my... He smiled apologetically greatest achievement. We followed him to the desk where he bent down and opened the bottom drawer. When he straightened, I saw that he was holding carefully an ordinary two-quart jar. He lifted it to his eyes and then he moved off toward the window, carrying it gently, as gently as though it contained something infinitely precious. 
At the window, he set down the jar. He rolled up the blind, then pushed open the window in one gesture. Then he lifted the jar, his hands shaking so that the sunlight slanted sharply, flashed chromatically through the glass. Gentlemen, he said softly, gentlemen, the queen. As if responding to the introduction, there arose fluttering from the bottom of the jar, the most beautiful butterfly in the world. The upper wings measured probably six inches from tip to tip, beginning close to the body. They were the deepest sapphire blue, fading imperceptibly lighter through all the blues until at the wing edges, the color had paled to silver. The wing perimeters were traced with a thin line of arterial red, and the borderline carried completely around the lower wings as well, which were rich gold in color and were dotted with four pairs of blue pinhead dots. The body of the insect was silver, patterned with duplicate arabesques of cerise twining upward from the bottom of the abdomen and terminating in interlocking scrolls on the thorax at the base of the black button head. The antennae, as the light struck them, sheened in an iridescence predominantly purple. Magnificent! I breathed, bending close to the jar. He was pleased. Look closely. She is the culmination of 20 years' work, 20 years crossbreeding, interbreeding, failure. Only two of the final aches hatched into larvae, only two, only one of the chrysalises matured. He shook his head. His voice carried an overtone of sadness. Examine it closely. The Kreutz Lepidopteron. Notice I use the singular. The first and last of its species, perfection, gentlemen. In a manner of speaking, this solitary butterfly is the best of me. It has become my soul. He reached up and began to unscrew the ventilated top of the ordinary two-quart jar. We stared, fascinated, into silence. Then, very deliberately, he removed the cap and spilled the butterfly out the window into the fresh April air. We watched the three of us as the gorgeous creature beat its wings and climbed higher, higher, melting at last into the April sky, vanishing. Dr. Kreutz remained at the window, gazing upward long after the butterfly had disappeared. Then he closed the window, drew the shade, and carried the empty jar back to his desk, handling it as fondly as though it still kept his butterfly. After replacing the jar, he turned to us, removed his spectacles, and began polishing them with his handkerchief as he talked. Now to business. The disappearance of my wife has come to your attention. Very well. You will remember I told you only one of the two chrysalises reached the imaginal stage, matured. My wife was a lovely woman and our affection was genuine, but at times she lost patience with my uh, preoccupation. One evening she became highly emotional. I found her in this room puncturing the other chrysalis of my Kreutz Lepidopteron, goring it with a brooch pin and she was reaching for the second one when I took her throat in my hands. In my garden is a rare and extraordinarily beautiful rosewood tree. 
Come, gentlemen, I shall show you her grave. The blood pulsed powerfully in my head. I heard myself trying to shout, Dr. Kreutz. Dave's fingers closed painfully on my arm. The words dissolved in my throat. Dave's voice was almost calm. Certainly, Dr. Kreutz, please show us where she is. Two hours later, Dave and I stood once more outside the ivy-colored gate. I looked at him. The lines in his face were deeper. Horror pulled at the corners of his mouth. Good Lord, I said. Our papers sent us for a story of some strange new butterfly and good Lord. Yes, said Dave. The poor devil thought we were the police. Then Dave tried to smile. He was wrong about his crate, too. When I went back into the house, I found him sitting in that room with the snake in his hands. He figured it would take two and a half minutes. It was another 20 seconds at least before he died. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fun story to read. Yeah. Is this a joke story? I don't think it, it, it doesn't feel like a joke, but it has this sort of punctuation of a joke at the end. The surprise, like, who are these guys? Who? What's this guy? Like, we don't... It's. Is it because it's so short that it has to be this style? It feels like a sort of a, a joke story. I think it... I, I, I hadn't thought of that comparison, Jesse. Um, I had come down somewhere else, but it seems to me that your observation is perfect because from my viewpoint, at least, it makes a link from reading the story as a straight horror story, um, almost Poe-esque, right? The police mm -hmm. discover the guy at the end, as in the telltale heart. Um, you know, the, the, the wife vexes the fellow, as in the black cat. Um, th this is a, a story that, that reeks of Poe, uh, but, uh, but yes, there's a kind of a punch here um, that... It has sort of the structure of a joke. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, in fact, the punchline leads to something else, mm. not simply to, to laughter. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't I don't come away laughing from this story. I, I come away like, oh, 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 OK. And then I look at the title again, Crypt of the Jealous Queen. Um, now, the queen that comes out first in the story is not the wife. It's the uh, Le Lepidoptera, the butterfly. Um, but And he treats it like a queen. But then that doesn't fit. Well, maybe, maybe it fits both ways. The jar is the crypt, except it's not, because it's freed from the jar. The room is the crypt, the vault, right? Uh, there's a bunch of words that set up the... Uh, the, the idea of a graveyard, right? The urns instead of pots. Um, the uh, the vault door to the greenhouse, and the greenhouse only has one window. It's it's uh it's it, I think it's very well done, uh, despite the spelling mistakes and yeah, <laughs> I guess they're typos, right? They're typos. And, and it's the first issue of a new magazine. Um, <laughs> they're really trying to sell it. They've got some really good art, but there there's a bit of a a quick t quickness to the story that is I well, I'm understandable. Gonna, 
I'm going to go on the basis that that Jack A.W. Bennett is really the Jack Bennett here and that he really is a respected, respected Oxford scholar. And the reason I want to do that is that I think that a, a careful reading will show a number of flat out errors, which, in fact, a careful scholar should never have made. And they may be a clue that we need to read things differently than we might at first from Dr. Kreutz. Uh, For one thing, a cobra does not require 5,000 human lives a year. Mm. Quite the opposite. Because a cobra has such a low basic metabolic rate, they eat very little, even compared to other snakes. They are incredibly abstemious. Most people can... Well, they don't eat people at all. Um, But, I mean, their mouths aren't big enough to to ingest a human being. But, but, you know, if you're feeding them piglets, um, one piglet will last a, a cobra for most of a year. I mean, they really eat very, very little. And if you take a look at the images of crates, which is a whole family of venomous snakes, very venomous snakes, one thing you will notice is that they either have more or less uniformly colored scales or their bodies are banded by alternating colors. Just the opposite of the description here, where we're told that there is a line of orange going down the whole body of the crate. So the biology is wrong here. It's also wrong to suppose that all of these plants, the hundreds of vines and so on, would exist in a, a crypt, in a darkened room, even when the, the shade is up, as you point out. There's only one window. Mm-hmm. That's not how you keep living plant specimens going. So the biology is all wrong here. So then what can we make of what we are learning? It's the crypt of the jealous queen. Who is the jealous queen? Well, we know that the wife doesn't like Kreutz's activities, but we're also told that the queen, the Kreutz Lepidopteron, had become my soul. Mm. There's some strange sexual association going on here. The crate when his kiss happens, a man can live only 40 seconds to two and a half minutes. That's awfully strange to call it his kiss. Um, and then it's a kiss of a man. It's almost as if the man, Kreutz, is shying away from the possibility of a kind of Uh, crypto homosexuality. And I can't help but recognize in this period when Freud is already well known and people are saying things like, but sometimes a cigar is only a cigar. uh, This crate is described as 14 inches long and the thickness of a cigar. So maybe the jealous queen, and this is what got me started here with your question, Jesse, who is the jealous queen? Maybe there's a number of ways to interpret that word queen. Maybe the jealous queen was, in fact, Kreutz, jealous of his wife, Ah. who is jealous of him spending his time with his queen. Ah. (laughs) 
Um, now it's a joke. <laughs> so, now it's a joke. Now it's a joke. Exactly. But I think it goes further. Um, the, this story could have ended with certainly Dr. Kreutz, please show us where she is. And that could have been the end of the story. Mm. Right. I mean, so I buried her in the backyard. It's like tearing up the floorboards to stop uh, the uh, horrifying uh, sound of the telltale heart. It could have stopped there, but it didn't. Two hours later, Dave and I stood once more outside the ivy-covered gate. I would point out to you, now that we know who these people are, that they are newspaper reporters, I'd go back to the very beginning. Dave drove up and jumped out of his car, not our car. Mm. I waited at the ivy-colored gate, and we went up the brick walk together. In other words, I am already out of the car. Dave drove up and jumped out of his car. Mm. Now, it may be that Dave gave Solly a lift, or it may be that Dave and Solly arrived together in two different cars. But what we know is that Dave and Solly are both newspaper men, and therefore they have been sent by two different newspapers. Yeah, it's the weird. Newspapers, they're cooperating like that, right? Exactly. They're cooperating. And what do they discover? They discover a grisly murder. Now, what is their reaction? It says, you know, he was horrified. I saw this. But in fact, here's how the story ends. Good Lord, our papers send us for a story of some strange new butterfly. And good Lord. Yes, said Dave. The poor devil thought we were the police. Holy crap. Dave is sympathizing with Kreutz. Mm -hmm. Remember, this isn't a magazine that just loves to have women be the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Then Dave tried to smile. He was wrong about his crate, too. Now, if you think of this in Freudian terms, holy mackerel. He was wrong about his crate, too. When I went back into the house, I found him sitting in that room with a snake in his hands. He figured it would take two and a half minutes. It was another 20 seconds at least before he died. The final image is of Dave watching <laughs> Kreutz with his snake in his hands mm. dying. Um, the Freudian reading for this is clear, but to give it something that is less um, controversial for some people and more obvious, I think, the end of the story shows us that what was important to Dave and I suppose also Solly, since Solly is the one telling the story, is not that a woman was killed. What's important for them is that they have the spectacle of murder. The spectacle of murder is what sells newspapers. They went out after a simple story of an unusual butterfly, and they came back with something so much better. Mm. In fact, we're holding in our hands a copy of a magazine devoted to the spectacle of murder. Mm -hmm. What I think is going on here is that the scholar, the Oxford scholar who hides his identity under the abbreviated name Jack Bennett, the Oxford scholar is pointing out that murder in the realm of murder mystery is not, in fact, an ethically horrifying act. It is an aesthetically exciting act. And we lose empathy for the victims as we try to feed our desire for the genre. I think this story is, in fact, as much as it pulls back, pulls on Poe, also Wells, I would uh, argue if we mm -hmm. have the time, 
Um, this story, in fact, is an expose of how shallow is our ethical involvement in horrifying activity, if that will make it possible for us to enjoy our stories. You uh, initially pointed out the um, strange phraseology of this quote. The Cobra requires more than 5,000 human lives each year to justify his existence. Now, what's interesting about that to me is it it makes you first think, well, oh, Cobras eat people. Well, but Cobras don't eat people. And I think most people who know anything about Cobras at all would know that right off the bat. Uh, and then he says, um, who knows how many lives the crate requires well in this story it requires one Uh, (laughs) it kills people without eating them right and to justify it's his existence right the cobra requires five thousand human lives to justify his existence the dr kreutz character kills his wife over the her killing of one of two members of a species right that he's created um this beautiful butterfly and then he says uh he says this is the first and last of its species perfection gentlemen in a manner of speaking this solitary butterfly is the best of me it has become my soul um this is a this is one of the things i liked about this story is that i'm picking up on something i discovered in uh alan moore's um uh, Providence comic, which in the very first panels has a moth flying around, and and I I was like, what's going on, and what does what, what does all this mean? And then I I noticed that this moth has uh, a pattern that continues, even though that's not the focus of the story, quite deep into it. And and then I find out that the moth, in long tradition, including in some H.G. Wells stories, there's one called the Moth, and uh, we've talked about other stories um, by that have moths in them that moths are symbols for human souls and here he's got it as the butterfly this beautiful thing that he has worked on it's his child in a certain sense it's it's his own creation this is a frankensteinian story where he's creating a, a beautiful thing like uh people hybridizing orchids in the same way and his wife has out of, in a fit of jealousy tried to kill both of his creations to punish him and it's it's kind of a femme fatale story and that really fits with the period that we're in uh, just after the war and during the war and before the war there was this whole idea of uh, women killers they don't kill you by uh, you know coming up to you and shooting you in the face first they trick you into loving them and then you die right and Sometimes right. they bring down it. They bring down the whole family. They bring down everything, and that's what we've got here. This Dr. Kreutz and his wife. Uh, no evidence that they have any children. The only thing they have is the husband's creations in this tomb. And I just I I, I think the it's very pulpy this writing, but the description of Dr. Kreutz with his electric green eyes. Oh, it's good. I love this. It's very. Uh, I want to see it, you know, filmed. <laughs> um, and and uh, you know, they could talk about his electric green eyes in the in the black and white film that I'm creating in my mind, right? 
It's good stuff. It is. The the description of Kreutz to begin with, um, with his recessive head, uh, foreline, uh, for, for, uh, hairline, um, the jungle quickness, um, the use of terms that re- that are redolent of the jungle and animals is very much like the, uh, I think it's the third chapter of the island of Dr. Moreau, mm. where we f- first get the description of Mling, who has coarse black hair, hunched shoulders, and turns with animal swiftness. And only later do we find out that it's not a metaphor. He, in fact, is an ape who has been transformed through scientific experiment by Moreau. And, of course, that ends in in terrible death. Um, The escape of Prendick is how the tale gets to us. And what we have here is another scientist who's worked and worked and worked to create something, (coughs) excuse me, in a certain image. I love that word, imagil. Mm. It turns out that imagil is the adjective from imago, which is the mature stage of an insect that goes through metamorphoses. But imagil sure sounds like something imagined by Kreutsch. So I'm wondering, who is the queen? Queen of what? How much jealousy is here? And is the crypt, in fact, the skull, the mind, the imagination of these folk, of, of the Kreutsch, of the room that he's in, or of us, the poor fools, who would get our jollies by reading about other crazed people committing murder. Mm. I, I guess what I'm saying is there really is in this simple genre story always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.